Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Good morning and welcome to Holding Ground. My name is Laura Richer, and I'm the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And I am here with my co-host, Michelle Mooney, who is also a therapist at Anchor Light. And we are here live on 1150 AM KKNW, where every Monday morning, we bring you a little bit of everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, everyone. So we have an exciting show today. Today, we're going to answer all of the questions you've ever wanted to ask your therapist, but were too afraid to ask. So we'll cover questions about individual therapy, couple ther- couples therapy, and burning questions like, what happens if I become attracted to my therapist? <laughs> yes. And these are, I wanted to do a show on this topic because a lot of people are hesitant to go to therapy because they don't really understand what it is or how it can help them or when it would be the right time to go. Um, Or maybe they're coming, especially in the case of couples therapy, because their partner wants them to go and they're kind of scared. They don't know what to expect when they, when they get there. So I'm glad that we're going to take this opportunity today to answer all of those questions. So the first question, the most obvious one probably is how do I know I need to go to therapy? What do you think, Michelle? How, why does somebody want to start coming to therapy? Well, really anything, right? But, you know, it's when thoughts, feelings, emotions, other symptoms and mental health disorders are starting to interfere with your overall quality of life. So if things are interfering with your work, relationship, hygiene, general self-care, responsibilities, if you're eating correctly, um, when something is really start to interfere with your overall functioning and quality of life. And even when things are going really well and you would just like to gain more insight, learn more about yourself and just gain some more coping tools for day-to-day struggles. And I would say that's a lot of who our clients are at uh, Anchor Light Therapy. Most of our in private practice therapy, a lot of the clients that we see are going to be um, very high functioning, probably have are successful in their careers, and and there's some aspect of their life that maybe just is feeling a little bit off. Maybe they feel like they've kind of hit a point at work where they feel stagnant and they can't quite get to the next level, or maybe their life's out of balance in some sort of way, and their relationships are suffering, but they're having trouble finding that balance. Or maybe there's some old stuff from past relationships or childhood that's kind of eating away at them. And they just need an opportunity to be able to work through some of that so they can just let it go. So there's a million reasons why one might go to therapy. And in fact, me and Michelle both go to therapy because if you're a therapist, you need to go to therapy as well. Yes. And I think that's actually one of the questions we were going to touch on later in the show. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people ask, well, does my therapist go to therapy? And honestly, if they're a good therapist, they, they will be in therapy because, um, you know, for a multitude of reasons, right? We have our own lives and our own struggles. It's helpful, um, you know, when we get into some heavier work, right? That, you know, our profession is, right? It's good to have somebody to talk to. So um, yes, Laura and I are both in therapy. So do it 
It's yes. <laughs> yes. And I think it's just that sometimes people feel like you might only go to therapy if your life was falling apart around you. Um, and actually therapy can be an avenue to prevent that from happening. So you don't have to wait until things are super terrible. If there's even something that might even seem a little bit minor that you want to address. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too, because I think sometimes um, clients look at us as like these experts who have everything together and we've only learned things from a textbook, right? But the reality is, is we're human as well. And, you know, we, we, we come into this profession and I know Laura and I both, right? We've had life events, right? That can really inform our practice and how we show up and recognize and empathize with clients. And the other thing is, is yeah, we need to talk to somebody too. So um, we're not these perfect robots that I think a lot of people might think about therapy, right? So um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so Laura, um, what happens in therapy? Well, one thing that you can get in therapy that you can't just get from a friend, and this is why even therapists who have master's degrees and doctorate degrees in this field still need to go to therapy, is that you have somebody who can offer you an unbiased perspective. They aren't part of your personal life. So Initially, when you go to therapy, they're going to get history about you. They're going to build rapport with you. They're going to try to understand what your issues or obstacles are and help offer another perspective of how you can start to look at some of these things. So I think that that's probably a good summary of what we're doing in therapy. What would you add to that, Michelle? Yeah, we're, you know, we're really giving you um, both an emotional and physical space, right, to share what you need to share to unpack things that you need to unpack. So like what Laura was saying, maybe some things that are hanging on from early in life or past relationships. Um, you know, if you're coming in for couples therapy, right, a lot of people in particular like to do couples therapy in person in that neutral space, right? So they're not online, you know, bringing this into their home as well. So, um, you know, just that emotional and physical space as well. But, you know, really getting to you know, connect with that unbiased person in a way that, you know, together we can help, you know, process what you need to process, you know, therapist is there to guide you, we're not there to necessarily give you advice or, you know, spew off all this like clinical knowledge, right, we're there to walk this journey with you. Yes, and not to tell you what to do to help you find your own answers. Your own. I, yeah. I can see and do see with my clients they present different situations and I know how I might want to respond to that situation, but that isn't necessarily how they want to respond or how they need to respond. So it's just trying to help them see things in a way that they can start to find their own answers. Yeah. We, we want to stay, we can get in a little bit into offering guidance when somebody's really engaged in a, a type of behavior that is going that you just clearly know is not going to help them get to where they want to go. So something right. really self-sabotaging, for example, you know, your therapist might say, Hey, this, if you continue to do this research shows that this is probably going to be the outcome, but typically right. we're not going to tell people what to do. Yeah, exactly. And then even that's like a very gentle process, right? We're not there to punish or shame or anything like that, right? But there are some things when we see clients who are unwilling to budge and do their own work, right? Because that's, that's another piece of it, right? We have these 55 minutes every week with our therapist. You leave the door, that's when your therapy and what you gain from your therapist session, right? That's where you start have to start engaging in that. So if you're not doing that, if you're not practicing these things outside of session, you know, we might draw attention to that, right? Reflect that back to you. Well, are you doing the things we talked about last week? 
well, no. Okay. Well, you know, we need to start doing those. Right. So yeah, it, it's not advice. It's it necessarily, it's not um, instruction or punishment, but it is, you know, if you're going to get something out of us, we will kind of point you in certain directions. So, um, and then be really great. curious if you're not doing it, then we want to look at that. What, what is that about? If you want to make a yes. change, but you're not taking the steps to get there, then we keep, so we're just kind of peeling away the layers to try to help to get you to wherever it is you're trying to go. So how do you know if your therapist is a good fit? I mean, I don't know, Michelle, have you ever gone to a therapist and not really liked them or didn't think it was a very good fit for you? I did. Yes. Um, so, you know, sometimes you can go to like uh, your primary care physician and they might give you a sheet of recommendations and you're like, well, my doctor said, so I, now I have to go to see this person. Right. Um, but in reality, you don't have to stick with any therapist that doesn't seem like a good fit. So some um, great resources that you can use to find a therapist, obviously Google, right. Searching therapists in your area. Um, a really great resource is called psychology today. And essentially it's like a Facebook of all the therapists in your area and you can, you know, filter out things so you can find, okay, this therapist works with um, ADHD and they're female and they're this and that, whatever you're looking for. Um, and then finding places that offer complimentary consultations like we do, right? So you get to kind of like try on, do kind of like a speed dating kind of session with the therapist, kind of see, okay, is this, does this chemistry feel right in the way that this is somebody that I feel like will support me, um, you know, practices, um, interventions that are really going to help me and then once you get in the room with your therapist for the first session or over zoom right you can start to learn like is this again like extending that process that was happening on the consultation you know seeing if what they're doing is helpful if their presence with you is helpful so some people prefer a really gentle therapist some people prefer like a really direct um kind of you know more not to say rigid, but more rigid um, approach, right? So you know for yourself. So if something in yourself is telling you like, this isn't the person I want to talk about all my childhood trauma with, then don't do it. Yes. And a big part of success in therapy is the relationship that you have with the therapist. So mm -hmm. if you trust the therapist, if you're willing to be honest and disclose what is going on with you, you're more likely to be able to address the things that are challenging you that brought you there in the first place. If you yeah. don't feel comfortable with them, if you don't trust them, if you don't like their style or their approach, whether it's too harsh or not, uh, or doesn't push you enough, then you need to find somebody else. Cause often I tell people therapists are kind of like friends. I mean, some people are going to work for you and some people aren't. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad therapist. Um, it's just, they're not your kind for of person. You. It's not a good fit. Yeah. So Laura, does my therapist like me? Um, I would say that is a very good question. And there's all kinds of different answers to that question, but hopefully your therapist feels neutral to you, that they are there not for you to like them or them to like you, although that's nice when that, that happens, but they're there to try to help you and be a neutral space for you to work through your issues. So it really doesn't matter whether they like you. If they're hostile towards you, then that's going to be a problem <laughs> and hope, and then you definitely need to find a different therapist or if you feel hostile towards them. Um, but I would say that that question, it doesn't really matter. However, I would say most therapists do like their clients. You're sharing a very, it, that is a very intimate type of relationship. It's a professional relationship, but it is a very uh, intimate relationship that you're having with another human being as the therapist, helping them help guide them through very difficult 
life experiences um, and for on their side, being able to share themselves with you. And I think when we get to know people on a very personal level like that, most of the time we can't help but like them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say I have a very like fondness for a lot of my clients, right? Because we are, they are being vulnerable with us, right? We are learning their life stories. And when we hear like the more difficult things, right, we really start to feel for you. And we want to make sure that, you know, you you do start to feel better, right? Because that's why we do it. But yeah, it, no, it really doesn't matter if they like you at the end of the day, you know, we probably do. But yeah. you know, the thing we really want to get to is like, do you like yourself, right? And you know, if it, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks, right? And if you don't, that's just something else you need to address with your therapist. And just remembering, you know, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to come to therapy. And it means you're willing to take ownership of your own life and just do some hard work. So, yeah. And there is... There is transference and counter-transference that show up in therapeutic relationships where if you don't like your client, if you're a therapist that doesn't like their client or you have a strong reaction to whatever their issue is, you know, maybe they're dealing with issues around addiction and the therapist's parents were addicts and somehow that it's just their emotion is interfering in what this person needs to do to work through their stuff, then the therapist either needs to see their therapist and work through it or refer this person to somebody else. So like we said before, therapists are people, we all have our own issues as well. And if a therapist has a strong dislike for a client, they should probably pass them on to somebody else and notice and explore why that is for them. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, what about, because we were talking about how this is an intimate relationship with clients, um, that you really get to know them on a deep level, but how much do you let them know you? Do you talk about yourself in your sessions? You know what? It it really is a case-by-case basis, right? So it's never, you know... (laughs) I I guess I had one client do this once, but it's never really like the client comes in and is like, okay, what are your political beliefs? Where'd you grow up, right? You know, what's your favorite thing to do on the week and that sort of thing. Um, You know, so we probably won't touch on those things unless if it is um, relevant, right? Because we do want to share common experiences with clients sometimes when they are relevant. Um, So like, let's say talking about grief, right? If the therapist has recently gone through grief, they can connect with you more in that emotional level. And so that might be something that they share with you or like a day-to-day thing, you know, like somebody really gets a lot of pleasure and joy out of their pets. Oh yeah, this is my pet. Here's a picture, right? And it kind of forms that, um, you know, bond without really getting into the nitty gritty. Now, if somebody asked me like where I lived or my partner's name and things like that, that, that's off the table. But really when we have these shared life experiences, you know, like with couples therapy, right? Where a couple might be struggling with something that, you know, I've struggled with in a relationship and we can kind of share an antidote in that kind of way. It builds the relationship, but it all also um, really shows the therapist has a level of empathy for you that you might not have realized. Yes. And so if it's used as a therapeutic tool to disclose uh, an experience that you've had that might be relevant to what the client is going through, to help them see their own situation, maybe through a different lens or have a different perspective, then yes, it can be helpful to disclose some personal information. Mm-hmm. What you never want your therapist to do, and if you find this happening, again, this might not be the right fit for you, is that it's, uh, oh, you're divorced? Well, let me tell you all about my divorce. When I got divorced, <laughs> this is what happened. You know, that isn't, it, it shouldn't hijack the client session. That is, this is your time to do your own work. It's not about the therapist sharing their life experiences with you. So your therapist may choose to disclose some things as it relates to your experience to try to say, hey, you know, I, 
I lost a parent too. And it was really hard. I can empathize with that. This is something that I tried. Have you ever tried, you know, is this something that you might think, or is this something you might want to take a look at it through this lens? Um, but it has to relate to the client. It can't be, you don't want to use your clients as your therapist. <laughs> you know, as we're talking about this, I, I remembered one that, you know, something I disclosed over the weekend to a client, she's very young and she feels like she kind of made some missteps in her education so far. And, you know, again, she's very young. And I, I pointed out to her, I said, you know, see my two pieces of paper on the wall, like there's 10 years in between those two different degrees, right? So we have time to, you know, still go where we want to go in life, even if it's not, you know, to this rigid, like standard plan of, okay, by the time you're 21, you have your bachelor's, then you do this and then you do that, right? There's a different path for everyone. And, you know, she actually said, she's like, oh my God, wow, that's really helpful. Like, you know, so those are the times that we might want to interject some of our personal story to, you know, help support our clients. And yeah. Absolutely. Because that was very relevant to what she was going through, you know, yeah. or, and, and we all have shared experiences that most of us know what it's like to go through a breakup or to lose somebody or lose a job. I mean, so there's all kinds of ways where we can relate to our clients and that can be really helpful. Um, and I do use personal disclosure with my clients when it is relevant mm -hmm. and, and, but it just, you want to use it in a way that relates to them and is helpful to them, not just right. to talk about yourself, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, this is such a great conversation. I love it, but I think we should take a quick break here. So we will come back and we'll continue to talk about all the questions you might have about therapy, but we're too afraid to ask. So stay tuned. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. It's time that you are heard. And I don't mean in just a conversation. I mean, really heard. Imagine hosting your very own radio program on Alternative Talk 1150. Talk about being heard. Call 425-653-1150 right now to learn how affordable it can be to host your own radio show. Time slots are going fast, so take hold of this chance by dialing 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Every two minutes, a child becomes a victim of sex trafficking in the U.S. It's happening right now. Don't turn off the radio or change the channel. Don't cover your kids' ears, no matter how much you want to ignore it. Child trafficking is real. In fact, it's happening in your town. And you know what our greatest weapon against child trafficking is? It's our children. It's time to act with PACT. That's Partners Against Child Trafficking. PACT works to teach students how to identify the warning signs of child trafficking so they can help other vulnerable kids around them. PACT student ambassadors receive in-depth training on the issue and design a project to raise awareness, reduce victimization, and disrupt demand. Visit PACT.city to start donating today. That's P-A-C-T C-I-T-Y. And for as little as $5 a month, you can help end child exploitation. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. 
Welcome back to Holding Ground. My name is Michelle and I'm a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And I am here with the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective, Laura Richer. Today we are answering all of your questions that you've ever wanted to ask your therapist, but maybe we're too afraid to ask. Um, just a reminder, you can find us all over social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you want to schedule a complimentary 20-minute consultation with us, you can find that on our website, uh, anchorlighttherapy.com. All right. So back into all of these great questions that I think a lot of people are curious about, um, especially if you've never been to therapy and you maybe have seen a friend who's been going that's getting great results, or you have a partner that wants you to go with them for couples therapy and you're a little hesitant. Hopefully some of this information will help you feel comfortable coming on in. So Laura, um, I think a lot of people are kind of concerned about this sometimes, but um, can therapists diagnose you and will they diagnose you? Um, so they can. And if you are wanting to bill an insurance provider, they will because the insurance company does require a diagnosis to file a claim. That being said, especially in the um, environment that we work in, in private practice, we're not doing a ton with a diagnosis. So when I work with a client and they come in and they may be presenting certain symptoms like uh, anxiety or depression or trauma related disorder symptoms, um, I'm gonna note that, but I am. we have a very integrative holistic approach where we're looking at the client as a whole, not as a diagnosis. It's not like, oh, you have strep throat, I'm gonna give you an antibiotic. It, it doesn't work like that. Anxious people can come in and they are anxious for all kinds of reasons. They present in all different ways. And I'm gonna work with them and look for interventions that are gonna help them personally, not just go to my book. It's like, oh, okay, anxiety, we do A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's tough for some people that, you know, oh, you have to tell me I have anxiety or PTSD, you know, just for insurance purposes. But that is the way it works, because if they don't see some sort of medical diagnosis on there, then therefore they're not going to pay for treatment for that. Right. So um, that's why we can't uh, most um, insurances won't cover couples therapy is because you're not diagnosing the couple with a mental health issue. Right. It's a couple coming in to work through some of their relationship issues. So therefore, there's no medical diagnosis. So then therefore, um, there's no um, insurance coverage on that. So yeah, it, it can be a guideline, right? If, you know, I'm working with you, Laura, and I'm seeing, you know, symptoms of panic disorder, right? Like, those are things for us, like you said, to note and to work with. But it's not, we're not saying, you know, Molly, the schizophrenic is coming in to see us today, right? I mean, and that's a whole different issue on diagnoses, but we never want to use them as adjectives. We want to say like Laura who experiences panic, right? Not Laura, the, you know, well, COVID, it, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a title. It's not an identity. Yep. It's, it's just something to help us understand and to help you understand what you're experiencing. And I might even share with a client, you know, you do display some symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's to help them maybe be able to understand what they're going yep. through a little bit more. It's yep. not that they are PTSD, but they might understand how it works and, and see themselves a little bit in that framework. And that might help them to understand it better so they can work through it, but it's never an identity or, a, yeah. or an adjective. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And on that note, it, diagnosis can be really helpful for some people. They want to know, they want to put a name to what they're experiencing, right? So when you finally tell that person you're experiencing major depressive disorder or um, postpartum depression, right? It's like, oh, that's what all of these experiences inside of me is called. And now we can talk about this in a more structured way. And maybe, you know, is there some sort of, you know, medication or whatever it is that can treat it. So diagnoses don't, aren't bad for everyone. A lot of people want to know what their diagnosis is. Yeah. And I think with mental health though, it is really important to note that a mental health diagnosis is subjective. We don't draw your blood and go, oh, they have depression. So we might look at the symptoms that you're presenting and say, okay, it fits within this certain framework. Maybe this could be the diagnosis. But the truth is people are misdiagnosed all the time because again, it is a subjective diagnosis as you're taking a therapist's perspective and putting it together. Um, And so hopefully we're pretty consistent. You know, we have the DSM, which is a book that outlines how you diagnose each sort of mental disorder. Um, But sometimes people get misdiagnosed. So if you're given a diagnosis that just bipolar is a perfect example. I feel like many Mm -hmm. people who have been misdiagnosed as bipolar and having, um, bipolar disorder, because often it presents in the same way as post-traumatic stress disorder. So somebody could have gotten a diagnosis years ago of bipolar disorder. And they're like, this just doesn't really fit me. Maybe I have some symptoms, but this just doesn't feel right. You want to bring that to therapy too. And say, I don't, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. Cause again, I can't emphasize enough. A diagnosis is subjective. There is no one size fits all, uh, PTSD diagnosis where everyone's going to present in the same way. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And I think I'm glad you touched on post-traumatic stress disorder um, because the the symptoms of that show up as other things. Like they can be diagnosed as other things. So you have phobic disorder or you have, you know, some sort of, um, yeah, like you're saying bipolar, maybe you're, you know, having delusions sometimes or hallucinations. So you must have schizophrenia and really all of these things actually can be just symptoms of PTSD. So when we work with the PTSD, those other things can go away. So um, that that's a big one. I think that gets missed a lot. So, um, okay. So this next one, what if I run into my therapist in the real world? So if I see my therapist at Fred Meyer or, you know, walking down the street, um, what happens then, Laura? So we ethically are not allowed or to approach you if we see you out in public. And that is because you may not want us to, you may not want to be, you know, you might be with other people. And if I come, Hey, I'll see you in therapy next week. That might not be something that you wanted to disclose to anyone. Or How's that depression going this week? <laughs> yeah. Or there could yeah. be, I could, you know, maybe you're having a bad day and you don't feel like engaging. So even if we see you and we recognize you out in the real world, and I have seen clients out in the real world before, I will never go up and approach them. They are always welcome to come up and approach me if they would like to, but ethically I am not, I cannot go up and approach them. Yeah. And sometimes that can be confusing for clients if you don't explain that to them. Um, Cause you know, we live in Seattle and the chance that, you know, a lot of us live in Seattle, our clients and us. Um, so the chances of running into each other are pretty high. So I, I let clients know that policy, right? Ethically, we cannot come up to you. That breaks your confidentiality. Um, but so don't be put off or don't think we're being rude or mean. That's just the ethical boundary there. But yeah, feel free to come to talk to us if you want to. So yeah, that's a great question. And to keep it from being weird, if I do some see someone in the real world, I do mention it in session because if they've seen oh, me and they mm-hmm. felt like I, I was ignoring them to say, I saw somebody at a 
concert one time and I was like, oh, hey, I saw you in this place, but I'm not allowed. And he's, and he actually didn't see me. He's like, well, why oh, okay. didn't you come say hi to me? I was like, well, you know, I'm actually not allowed to do that. But in case yeah. you did say me, see me, I wanted you to know why I didn't come say hi to you. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So yes, but that is to protect your confidentiality, mm-hmm. not to be rude. Right. I think that another uh, topic I really want to make sure that we talk about today is medication and therapy and how those two things work together. So what are your thoughts about medication, Michelle? And do you, do you prescribe medication to clients? So therapists um, with master's degree cannot prescribe medication. Now, some people go on to be a doctor of psychology, um, you know, become a psychiatrist where they can prescribe medications, but we cannot. So we provide the therapeutic um, talk therapy or EMDR, whatever it is you're doing with us. Um, However, for therapy to be effective for some people and life in general, it could be a a huge benefit to also take medication. So we'll never say you need to take this medication, you know, talk to your doctor. This is what I would prescribe you, right? We're trained in all the medications. We know what they are. We know how they affect, uh, you know, certain symptoms. So we can have that dialogue with you. Um, But, you know, we can't ultimately tell you what to take, but you know, a lot, and there's a lot of stigma. A lot of clients are very hesitant about taking medication. Well, if I take mental health medication, then there's something wrong with me. And, you know, I don't like putting substances into my body. And again, that's totally and completely the client's choice, but focusing on the piece of, you know, if you had diabetes, right. And you need to take a medication to um, stabilize that, right? In the same way as like, let's say if you do have bipolar, right? There's medications that are gonna level you out so you're not experiencing certain symptoms anymore. And with those aside, then you can really do this deeper therapeutic work that might mean you don't have to take medication forever, but a lot of times they work really well hand in hand. And we don't wanna just say, take medication and you're fine and fine. You also need to do the talk therapy along with medication. Yeah, I think that's an important piece because sometimes people, it can go either way. Sometimes people don't want to do talk therapy. They just wish, you know, it was like strep throat that they could just take a pill, get better and go on their way. And they're hoping that the medication could do that. And that typically, the only way that that really can work for people is it's if they take enough medication to numb themselves out, to not feel anything, but then you also, you're not feeling the bad feelings, but you're also not feeling the good ones either. So that can be Mm -hmm. problematic. On the other side, there are people who only want to do therapy for all the reasons that you said they don't believe in medication. They see it as a weakness. They don't want the side effects or to take in a foreign substance into their body. And a lot of times that can be great. A lot of times therapy can be very effective and you won't need any medication. There are times though, when people have such severe symptoms that they really can't even effectively participate in therapy. So um, using bipolar as an example, if somebody is manic, or, or very, very depressed either side of that, it's unlikely that they can really engage in therapy in a way that would produce any sort of significant result or people who have severe anxiety where their, their rumination is so high and they, their anxious symptoms are having panic attacks. It's not, they're they're not going to be able to effectively participate in therapy until they can manage those symptoms so that then they can address whatever is causing the anxiety uh, from a place of being at baseline. If you're way below baseline, you can't really engage in therapy. Right. Exactly. The medications will treat the uncomfortable symptoms of the, you know, whatever you're struggling with, but the talk therapy really gets down to the root of it, the cause, right? Well, where did this come from and how can we move forward? So again, those things in tandem, um, 
should absolutely be the case if you and, take meds. Yes. And while, you know, and some people have severe symptoms when they're experiencing situational depression and they might take medication for a year and then go off of it. So just because you use medication for a period of time doesn't mean that it, you're going to have to take it for the rest of your life. And then there are some people that have clinical depression or different types of symptoms that they do need to take medication to have a, a good quality of life and that they, they aren't able to go off of it. Um, and that's okay too. Do what you need to do to feel good and, and have a healthy life and a healthy mindset. Exactly. All right, Michelle. So what's next? What else do people ask you these days? Well, Laura, how about this one? What happens if a client develops feelings for their therapist? So this is interesting. Uh, this is an interesting phenomenon that happens way more frequently than I think people realize. And it actually has nothing to do with attract with physical attraction. Um, so if somebody has most of their life felt very misunderstood or unseen and unheard, and they have some challenges related to self self-esteem, um, they might choose to engage in therapy to try to work on some of those things. And then say they do have a really great rapport with their therapist. Um, they feel very seen by their therapist. They're able to maybe open up in ways that they never have before. Um, they can start to feel very close to that person because they're having this experience, which is something that they're wanting to create in their own personal life outside the therapy room. But for the first time, maybe they're having it in the therapy room. Um, and I think often this happens if people are seeing uh, a therapist of their, their preferred, uh, like if, if you're heterosexual and you see somebody of the opposite sex, or if you're homosexual and you see somebody of the same sex, that you could eat very easily confuse that connection with attraction. Um, and if that's the case, if you do feel, feel a sense of attraction to your therapist, you can choose to share that. And the therapist might decide, help you decide whether it's a good fit for you to achieve your goals to continue on with that therapist or if, or if it's more appropriate to refer you out at that time. Um, or it could just be something that's come up in therapy and we can just use that as information to, to help the client see that that's actually just something that they're trying to recreate in their own life. And that they're actually getting closer to it by feeling that connection. The, ther the therapist is kind of like a surrogate for that connection mm -hmm. in that moment. And, you know, a positive thing of that, right, if you continue to work together and it's not a hurdle of some sort of way, the client is starting to learn, okay, I can trust people, right? Mm -hmm. I can share these things with people. Maybe my opinions and, you know, what my self-worth and all of that is of value to other people. So it can kind of be that learning lesson of, okay, now, now I'm learning these things about human beings again, maybe I can apply this to the real world. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I think if a client was to disclose that they had a sense, a sense of attraction and you explain to them what that, you know, that that was transference and what that really meant. Um, and they were open to that as a possibility and could understand that, then it would be very easy to continue to work together. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they were not able to accept that and felt, oh no, I just really want to be in a relationship with this person, then that could interfere with the therapeutic process. And it's probably more uh, effective to have them see a different therapist because now it's just getting, now it's just creating another issue that's not helpful. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, but very common. If you've ever felt attracted to your therapist and you don't even know why, because they're not the kind of person that you would date out in the real world, that's the reason why. They probably aren't the kind of person you would date out in the real world. And the truth is you don't really even know them personally. Right, you, 
you have yeah. no idea who we're at we actually are you just know how we're making you feel or how you're able to make yourself feel through our work so yeah very good um so this is a good follow-up question to that is your therapist judging you Oh man, I mean, yeah, no, <laughs> no. I mean, this, this work that we do, right? We understand um, all different areas of life, all different struggles that people have been through, right? We have heard it all. I mean, honestly, we have heard it all. I am, I'm, I'm hardly surprised anymore. Sometimes maybe I'm like, oh, I, okay, this is maybe a new thing, and I'll learn from this, and we'll learn from this together, right? But for the most part, we've heard it all, right? So we're here to work with you through those things. We're not here, you know, expecting perfect people to walk into our office and just have a chat with us we know you're struggling with something right so we're here to help you we're not here to judge you yes yeah and i and on top of that we have done extensive training throughout school and beyond to make sure that we do check our judgments at the door and that there were, we're not bringing that to therapy um because that is not what therapy is about um and that's also why we go to therapy as well if we do feel like anything is coming up for us we want to be able to have somebody that we can talk to you about that and see if, you know, maybe we're not the right fit for a client that we make the best, the choice that's in their best interest to find somebody who would be a better fit for them. But it's never about judgment in terms of this is a bad person or they did a bad thing or anything like that. We're just looking to make sure we're the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, Laura, I think it's not a time for another quick break. Um, so when we come back, we're going to answer more of your questions, like how do I break up with my therapist? Can I be with friends with my therapist once we're done working together? So we have some exciting questions still coming up for you. This is Holy Ground, and we'll be right back. You pledged your life to serve, to make our country stronger, safer, more free, more equal. You worked tirelessly, made sacrifices, Missed first steps and birthdays. Lost loved ones. At VA, we don't see the setbacks endured. We see lessons applied and passion driving you upward and forward. We don't see all the masks you wear, but we hope you can set some aside. We embrace your uniqueness and won't trivialize your past, your fears, or your hardships. We can't promise to heal all wounds or wash away all trauma, but we do see hope, a path forward, a future. We see all veterans. We see you, an opportunity to help you achieve a new mission, whatever that may be. Learn how treatment works and recovery is possible. Visit maketheconnection.net. Thanks for tuning into our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Folding Brown, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Don't let that herd mentality lead you off a cliff. 
We support thinking for yourself on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back. You're listening to Holding Ground here on KKNW. I am Laura Richer, the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective in Seattle, Washington. And I am here with my co-host, Michelle Mooney, who is also a therapist at Anchor Light. And we're answering all of your questions about therapy. Okay, Michelle. So what was the next question that we were going to get into? Can I be friends with my therapist? Yes. What are your thoughts about being friends with clients? Um, so I've had this question brought up to me by a handful of clients, especially before I came to work with you, Laura, um, I was working at a different agency and a lot of, you know, I was ending those relationships, those therapeutic relationships with some clients. And they're like, well, can we be friends now? Um, can we hang out? Right. And the answer to that, unfortunately is no, right. Because this is a professional relationship, even though we do get really close, you know, maybe we'll joke around that sort of thing at times, but unfortunately we can't have a friendship with you, um, after our time together until I think it is six years after we work together. So six years has gone by and this is within the counseling ethical codes. Six years has gone by, then we can become friends in the same way. And this does come up frequently. I, I haven't seen it personally with any therapists I've ever worked with, but sometimes therapists and their clients do end up uh, developing romantic feelings for each other, physical attraction from both ways, which is of course a whole ethical probably show within itself, but that can happen. But also those, those two folks, that therapist, and then the person they want to be in a relationship with ethically, they can do that after six years if they want to. So there has to be that time span, but honestly, if you're, that can happen, but it shouldn't happen. I mean, that's what we focus on in school. Like the one thing you don't (laughs) want to ever do is have a romantic relationship with a client that is highly, highly unethical and really damaging on, on both sides. Yeah. And, you know, the friendship piece works a little bit in the same way, maybe not quite as, doesn't have quite the same potential for having a negative impact. And let me say this, my clients, a lot of them are super cool people. I'd love to be friends yes. with them, but that's yes, not, the, absolutely. yeah, but that's not the dynamic of the relationship and how we met. And the truth is it would be very difficult. You know, one of the things that when a client wants to be friends with you is that they appreciate the space that you hold for them, that you are able to connect with them and offer them a space to process their feelings and, and all help them work through what they're working on. That's part of what you appreciate about the relationship. And that's not what we would be bringing to the table as your friend. A friendship is a very different type of relationship where there's an equal amount of give and take. It's not just me holding space for my friends. I dump my stuff on my friends as much as they dump their stuff on me. So it's it's a very different dynamic. And you may not even like your therapist if you were really to be friends with them in the real life. <laughs> yeah, if you really thing. knew who we were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's why that just doesn't really work. But again, I have some of the coolest clients. I'd love to be friends with all of them, but that isn't how we met. That's not the the purpose of the relationship that we have. And yeah. so it would, it would be strange to transition from this professional relationship to a friendship. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because I would have to agree. I have many clients where I'm like, yeah, you know, we would, we would be cool buds outside of this mm-hmm. process together. Right. And I think, you know, we're talking about earlier, like, does my therapist likely like me? Right. And, you know, the chances are, is that we do, and it's not like we're sitting there like yearning to be your friend, but we can identify, right. Like this is a pretty awesome person and, you know, they're, they're worth knowing. Um, so, yeah. Um, so streaming from that, Laura, what about being social media friends with your therapist? 
Um, it depends what the social media is. If it's social media for the therapist business, then that's okay. If it's personal social media, then your therapist is probably not going to accept your Facebook friend request. And again, that's, and that's for the same reason that we discussed that it is a professional relationship. It might be detrimental to the therapeutic process for you to really know a lot about the therapist's personal life. And so it's just, you know, it gets, mm -hmm. it, it, it might be fine, but there's the potential of it not being fine. And so we just want to avoid that altogether. Right. And I think there's probably some questions out there that folks have like, oh, does my therapist look at my Facebook profile? Right. And I can say from my personal experience, no, I never have. It's not, you know, it's not ethical. Like what you're bringing to session is what you're bringing to session. Right. So if I see something on your Facebook that totally contradicts what you're talking about in session, then I'm going to have some sort of, you know, belief or thought around like this person isn't being honest with me or whatever it is right so what you bring to session is what we talk about so i don't want to see anyone's facebook um i actually though have a story about um, a friend she was on a so um, a dating website and she actually matched with one of her clients and <laughs> the first thing she did was kind of like it was just a shock, right? Like, oh my gosh, my client can't see this, you know, they shouldn't see this about me, right? And it's kind of awkward or whatever. So, you know, just kind of deleted the match or whatever. But these things happen, right? With social media and all the technology we have in the world, that information can be exposed. But yeah, we you don't want to click like back on the dating profile, number one, we're just talking about that. And yeah, don't, don't um, become friends with your therapist on a personal level on social media. But yeah, like, Laura and I have uh, our business, uh, Instagram, Facebook, that sort of thing. Definitely be our friend on there. And we would love to be friends with you there and connect with you that way um, and talk about all things that relate to therapy and the work that we're doing together. And yes, and but like we've said before, we're regular people out in the real world. You could match with your therapist on a dating website, but they're going to, if they're an ethical therapist, they're going to block that and move on as quickly <laughs> as possible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. here's another question that people ask. How do I know that it's time to break up with my therapist? Or how do I break up with my therapist if I feel like I've gotten what I've needed or they're not the right fit for me? Yeah, that is a wonderful question because a lot of clients feel, um, I don't want to say obligated, but you know, um, they don't want to hurt their therapist feelings, right? They signed up for this and, you know, they feel like, okay, this is my therapist. I just kind of have to stick with this one, right? For whatever reason. And that's not true. And the thing is, is if you communicate with us that, you know, it's not working for you or you're try ready to try something different, please, please, please tell us that our feelings will not be hurt because why we get into this profession is to be of service to others. And if for some reason, what we're providing a certain client isn't working from them, let us help you find the person that maybe, you know, is you are going to click with that you're going to get things from. So yeah, we never want you to feel stuck or obligated, right? This is about you and we want to encourage you and help you um, feel better and heal, even if that's referring you out to somebody else. And I have been broken up with before and it does not hurt my feelings in the least. I had a client that I worked with probably for about six months. And then she said to me one day, she was very direct and I very much appreciated this. She said, I think I've gotten everything I need to out of this process. And yep. I'm really wanting to work with somebody now on my career goals. And I found somebody else who's very, which is not my focus in, in my practice. I mean, we can definitely talk about people's careers, but I'm not you know, a, a corporate coach or anything like that. Um, and, you know, I think that's what I need moving forward. And I, that is great. My goal is not for you to become reliant on me or be yeah. here for the rest of your life. And if that's what's happening, then we're not doing the work that we need to, 
to do and there that we definitely need to change at that point. So yeah. I welcome that when somebody feels like they've gotten what they needed, I feel like my work is done and it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on that note too, like if you're not like overall breaking up with your therapist, so, um, you know, a lot of clients I'll see every week or every other week, there's, you know, a pretty high frequency in our appointments. And, um, <clears throat> relatively recently I had a client that I was seeing on a weekly basis. And now they're at this point where they only want to come in once a month because they've gotten to a point where they don't need the intensive, you know, interaction every single week. And that's, that's really what it is, is we, you know, our job is to put ourselves out of work, essentially, right? We don't want you to have to be reliant, come in less frequently, and the process. That's great. That's great for you. I worked with a client at one point who had disclosed to me that they were working with another therapist that they wanted to break up with. And I don't know if it was a licensed therapist or if it was a coach or it was another practitioner, um, but that somehow the therapist had conveyed to them that they were kind of reliant on their weekly appointment financially, like it was really helping them out financially yeah. for them to oh come my in. God. Every week. So that is highly unethical. Like no. you should oh never feel responsible. You should, that's why you shouldn't really know a lot about your therapist. You don't need to know about their financial situation. Um, you, if you oh feel any gosh. pressure to continue going when you're no longer wanting to go anymore, that's a red flag. That's when you know you need to stop going. Oh, Laura, I just had a visceral response to that. I can't believe that. Um, yeah, yeah. Not, definitely so, not ethical at all. Oh my gosh. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, but again, we're developing these personal relationships and that's why we have to maintain such good boundaries because how easy would it be for a client to feel kind of like, well, this is a person that's helped me and maybe I owe them, which is the opposite of how you should feel. But that's why it gets tricky and why we have to have such good boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Next question. Um, so here's a kind of a fun one. Laura, do I lay down on a couch as if I see in the movies or TV where somebody's sitting there with a scribble pad and you're laying down like the very typical kind of stereotypical therapeutic setting that you see uh, portrayed in the media, that sort of thing. Is, is that how therapy is? Well, if you're doing hypnotherapy, it does look a little bit like that, <laughs> but not typically if you're doing talk therapy. I do have a couch in my office, and if you'd like to lay down while you're doing your session, feel free, uh, but no, it's not, you know, we're not Freud sitting there nodding at you, not saying anything uh, with our notepads. Um, it's a very comfortable setting. We try to make our office cozy and comfortable for people to come in and and I actually don't take notes in sessions. Do you, I, I make notes after the session, but I want to be fully engaged with the client. So most of the time I don't take notes during the session. Do you? Um, well, now, now I can't really say, no, I, I do. And I, I <laughs> everybody well, has a different style yeah. that works for them. And, you know, I'm not like recording necessarily what the client is saying, but they're bullet points and things that I would either want to circle back to before we close the session for that day, right? There can be some really, um, you know, poignant things that come out in the session that I want to make sure we, you know, close for the session that we talk about next time, right? Here's a new goal that, you know, we identified today. So that sort of thing, that, that's what I'm writing down, right? We're not like, oh, Sally said it, it, it up, right? But it's the things that we want to, that I want to remember to focus on either, you know, before that session ends or in the future. So um, that, that's what I do. Everyone and I'm still has, fully present. <laughs> yeah, everyone has different styles. For me, yep. I, I need to be able to stay in the conversation and then make my notes afterwards. Other therapists are making notes as they're talking to you. And so whatever style you have, whatever works for you, as long as everybody's comfortable with it, then that's what we do. 
And I think that's a good one because a lot of times clients, I think it can make them nervous that we're writing things down. Like, what are they writing about me? What did I just say? I mean, I know I've even felt like that as a client in therapist therapy before, but it's just really things that we need to remember and work on, right. To further help you out. Right. It, it, that's all it is. Yes. So no, not the Freud style, probably more relaxed than that. Yeah. All right, Michelle, well, we just have a couple more minutes and I want to get to one of our last questions here for today, but these are all, we've got lists of questions that people ask. So we're probably going to do a few more episodes around this. Um, yeah. But th I think this last question is really important is, are there things that I shouldn't tell my therapist or can it work against me to disclose things to my therapist that are negative or that they might perceive as negative, like, like drug use, for example? Mm -hmm. Okay. Great question. Well, <clears throat> on the topic of drug use or, you know, maybe some sort of other substance use disorder, maybe even a, like a process addiction order, right? If, if many folks can kind of um, fail to see the connection between their use and maybe reasons why that they um, even came to therapy. So it's very important to talk about. Um, so yes, always tell us those things. Um, you know, it drugs can have a serious effect on mental illness. So also though, the, the more important thing is, you know, if you're looking to reduce things or whatever, it's very helpful to come to therapy and tell your therapist about that. And that can be one of the hardest things that people, you know, feel like, oh, I shouldn't tell her that I'm doing this thing because there's a lot of shame about it, right? But this is the place where you can talk about it. Um, and then, you know, anything else that you want to tell us, bring that, you know, it's something that you're, you know, holding inside of you, right? There's going to be no judgment there. Um, you know, we're not going to just like you for it. But if it's something that's, you know, eating you up inside, right, this is the place that you want to um, externalize that and discuss that and process that. So there isn't anything you shouldn't tell us. Exactly. And we can't really help you if we don't really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so if you're working, for example, for changing a behavior and you're having trouble doing that, say you've come in because you want to let go of an addiction and you're still engaged in that addiction. If you're telling us that you're not engaged in it anymore, we can't help you work through what you need to work through to get to the real result because we don't know or the result that you want because we don't know what's actually happening. So it's a waste of your time and money to not bring everything to therapy. Yeah. And we're not judging. And honestly, if there's something you're like really sitting on, like, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't say this, that is the thing that you need to say first. So yes, because that's yeah. going to help us open the door to really get in into whatever it is you need. Well, Michelle, I can't believe it, but we are already out of time today. That was oh so many questions. We'll have to do that again. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and we will see you next Monday here on uh, KKNW. This is Holding Ground. Thanks for tuning in to Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. We'll see you next week.